That's all for this episode of the Influencer Essentials Podcast. I hope you picked up all those gems Majesty dropped and learned how to keep your cup full so you can pour into others. Join us every Sunday for lessons from your favorite influencers on how to build your brand, run your business, and find your balance. As always, I'm your host, Brittany Hennessy, and you can follow me on IG at Mrs. Brittany Hennessy. See you on the gram. Bye. Okay, everyone. So this is episode five of the Influencer Essentials podcast, and I am thrilled. I am thrilled because our guest today, I have done her conference. She's done my conference. I've done her podcast, and now she's coming on to drop all of the gems with you guys. She's fantastic. When we're done, you will love her as much as I do. So let's welcome Majesty Achimpong to the podcast. Hi, Majesty. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. So you are a woman of all trades. You've got a lot of stuff going on, which makes you a great candidate to come on and just share what you know with the audience. Because as everybody knows, we always talk about how the influencer, how they build their brand, how they run their business, and how they find their balance. So let's get into just the very beginnings. Like, talk to us about who you are on Instagram. You know, your handle is simple. It's your name. I love it. So easy. So, so easy. But talk a little bit about how you got into Instagram. You blog, how you got into blogging. Just how did you, were you an intentional influencer or were you an accidental influencer or were you somewhere in between? How'd you get into this industry? Gotcha. Like, like many people in influencer marketing, we kind of like tripped up and like stumbled and landed here. I was that way. Um, I was using influencer marketing to market an e-commerce at the beginning. I had an online boutique. So I had no influencer strategy originally other than I have product, I have a boutique, I want to sell my stuff. It's more expensive to pay models. So I'm just going to do this for free and take pictures in my own product. So that's how I kind of landed here. No other strategy outside of let me sell my own physical product. Then because of the quality of content I started sharing on uh, Instagram to market to try to drive traffic to my boutique, other stores like Banana Republic reached out and was like, hey, do you want to promote our fall stuff? And it blew my mind. I was like, hold on, hold on, pause. Another brand wants me to promote their brand? And it like blew my mind that that was even possible. So I started shifting away from me carrying my own product and doing like wholesale and resale to brands paying me and giving me a budget for gifted product and payment. And so before I knew it, I thought, let me stop doing the e-commerce because I can just promote other companies, brands and products I believe in without me having to be responsible for so much inventory. So I kind of just tripped up and landed here. Um, When I was doing my boutique, I would always have events and pop-up shops which was a skill that I wanted to continue. Um, So that's how I got into influencer conferences and events because I used to do shopping events and I wanted to continue that. And so I put my spin on it and thought, if I do an influencer conference, panel, masterclass, like I'm creative and I love events. So I knew people would come. So that's kind of how I landed here. I started as in the e-boutique world and started marketing my stuff and then realized that I was bigger than just a store, that I was a personal brand. Oh, I love that because so many influencers, you know, they aren't selling anything in the beginning. So you already had 
the skill of, okay, here's, here's an outfit, here's accessories, I've got to put together the look, I've got to go out and shoot it. And I think that's what people have to learn how to do. So it's very interesting that you already knew how to do that from your own boutique and you actually, you kind of, if most influencers go left, you kind of went right and you went, oh, wait, but brands will not only give me the clothes, but then I don't, like you said, you don't have to be responsible for inventory because anybody who's ever had to manage inventory, no, thank you. It is a beast. It is its own, its own crazy piece. So you had the image, you had the image shooting down. You knew how to shoot. How did you figure out what your niche was going to be? What kind of content you were going to produce? And then how did you target like, this is who I'm making content for? Because when it's clothing, it's very much, if you like this outfit, then this post is for you. I will sell to anyone who is buying. But as we know, as influencers, you don't just have an audience or customers. You build a community, which you've done a fantastic job of doing. So how did you figure out what your content was going to be? And then how did you figure out your target demo? That's such a good question. So I started realizing that my demo really looked like me. Um, I'm short, because you've met me in real life. You know, I'm barely five foot tall. Yeah, you're tiny. <laughs> so a lot of petite women would see my fashion and would think, oh, great. I've been looking for something like that. Where do you shop? So I started sharing insight. Then women who weren't petite like me, but maybe had natural hair. Like, what are you doing with your hair? What products are you using your hair? So then I start realizing people were wanting content or information about hair. Same with skincare. I'm trying a new mask or a new foundation. So I initially started off in the fashion niche and expanded based off of my demographic, really being a woman like me. Like my demographic is like 25 to 45 um, creative women who are trying to feel their best, look their best, figure out how to have clear skin, get better sleep, have cute hair, and shop with ease. And I realized like that was my avatar. So I started showing up for that woman. But then over time, when I started creating, I realized another person in my community were people like me who also created content but wanted more information. So my audience is kind of split in two where Content creators consume content from me because they want strategies, tips, tricks, similar to your audience that wants to know more about the business side of influencer marketing. Then there's a whole separate demographic of, I'm not a creator, but where are you shopping? I need this affiliate link. I want your tips so I can do this like smarter, not harder. So a lot of it was me being open to expand my niche to allow it to evolve as I evolved. But I, I was like a lot of bloggers at the beginning, just heavy on the fashion. And now, um, if you look at my content, it really has evolved to marriage, life, health, beauty, um, creative business strategies and balance. Because I work, I do events, like Brittany says. I have a whole husband who looks at me like, what's for dinner? Um, <laughs> so I think sharing those stories with other people really resonates because the person that follows me is really going through the same walks of life that I am. So like you said, it really helps build community where I'm more storytelling about what's happening in my life versus trying to like box myself in a particular content niche and pillar. Now that's really interesting because one of the questions that I get from influencers who are creatives who did have an entire niche before people started looking to them for influencer advice is how do you balance that? Because as Maddie always tells us, consistency is key, 
But anyone who follows me knows I, the consistency is not my best friend. She's a long lost cousin. I call her sometimes um, because it's hard. You know, it's hard to constantly come up with things, not just so that you've got something on the feed, because if that's all I was aiming for, I could easily post, you know, a bunch of times a day. I really try not to post unless I have something t impactful to say, which I mean, I wrote a whole book. I mean, how, how much is this left really? But, you know, and I'm only doing it in one subject, very much, you know, how to become a professional influencer. You're giving those tips and then on top of it, you're doing lifestyle. So how do you figure out like, when you're shooting your content, what you're shooting for, when you are doing, you know, your editorial calendar, how much of your content is for influencers versus for the general audience? How do you strike that balance? Because everybody knows the minute you post something that isn't for everyone, it's like, well, only 50% of your audience like this. So it's, let's deal with this engagement, you know, and you've also got the niche that that kills a lot of people in engagement with the natural hair because anytime you post a hair post, people are loving it. And then anything else, they're like, this is not hair. I didn't ask for this. And it's like, well, I'm not a hair blogger. I have to give you variety. So you've got variety within your general audience community. You've got variety for your influencer audience community. Just how, how do you... <laughs> How are you balancing those for anyone who's trying to also straddle two different communities? Oh, yeah. So, you know, how some people, they have a strategy like I want to post a mix of sponsored content and organic content. I always have a strategy of like I want to create for other content creators and then I want to create for other women who are not content creators. So I also approach my strategy to plan content and like, I need to do a 50-50 split. So when, for example, if I have a day where I'm bat shooting, I'm thinking about a picture or a video that can serve bloggers, content creators, podcasters like we are. And then I'm also thinking about what's going on with my hair. Okay, I have a protective style. You know, can I share hair content that will help those who aren't content creators? So I always try to think of, okay, what's going on in my actual real life that can serve the women who aren't in our industry and what's going on for other creatives that I'm on top of something that someone maybe who's just starting may not know that I can pour into them. So it is, it's always a balance of like, Ooh, I've shared a, a new podcast episode about influencer marketing this week. So my beauty fashion hair lovers didn't get anything. Let me share something about my personal life or let me share something about my family or what I'm going through as a woman. Um, so I try to mix nurturing both. And then for those, some people don't care about my personal life. They're like, I just want to know influencer marketing stuff. I want strategies, gems. I just want to know when your conference is for influencers. I just want to know when you drop a new Ignite Your Influence podcast episode. So I have a separate social media page called Ignite Your Influence for those who specifically only are interested in that niche um, and may not want my personal life. And then my personal page, you're going to get a blend of it both. I think that's smart. I mean, do I think it's absolutely insane to have a second Instagram? Yes. Like who, again, with, with what time, but it does, it does make a lot of sense. You know, that, that people want the content they want and they don't want anything else. And I think it's, I think it's very smart that you figured out how to mix it. Did you start mixing early on? Did you, how, when did you realize it was time to mix? Because I look at, for me, I never knew what to do with Instagram. I must have archived my entire feed 50 times before 
you know, I started working in influencer marketing because I'm a writer. I'm not, I don't take pictures. I don't, I don't care. My, my life is not Instagrammable. I barely do my nails. Like I just, I can't be living this life that you guys live. I commend all influencers for constantly being camera ready. But when I went to Hearst, I started using my Instagram as my portfolio because I could tag the influencers they would share. And then I would talk about, you know, casting this influencer in this, in this campaign. And I used it for that. Then when the book came out, it became like, oh, well, the only people following me now are people who have read the book and want more of this. So my personal Instagram kind of just became an industry Instagram. And every once in a while, I'm like, well, what if I want to post something you know, that's not industry related and there's actually no room for it because I can do it. I mean, sometimes I'll post pictures of my kid or my husband because they're very nice to look at and nobody ever minds. So that's fine. But you know, I'm queen of the Instagram shopping. If I see an Instagram ad, I am buying whatever it is and I don't have a space for that. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'll start a second Instagram. And I'm like, why? With what time? For what reason would I do, you know? So I think it's interesting that you've decided to not only do a mix on your personal Instagram, but you have a dedicated Instagram for the community you've built. But can you just give everyone like just a breakout before we get into business strategies of just your time? Because you're creating content, you're doing sponsor partnerships, you have a blog, you have a newsletter, you make events, you have a podcast, you have memberships, just who, why? I have a third of those things. And I'm just like, oh, majesty, what? She launched something else? This is, this is crazy. And you do them all so well. So everyone knows like, yeah, just because it looks nice on Instagram, don't let that fool you. It doesn't always look like that behind the scenes. But can you just give everyone a little insight into how you just prioritize what needs to get done, knowing that you have to show up for all of those audiences your organic audience, because that's how you get brand partnerships, and then your podcast audience, because those things, you know, drop on a certain time, and then your conference audience, who they're paying money for what you're offering. So how do you figure out just with limited hours in the day, how to make sure you're showing up for all of those different groups? Oh, yeah, it's it's the most, and I drink a lot of coffee, so let's start there. <laughs> um, however, I tackle my responsibilities in, like, seasons, or, you know, kind of like companies have like a Q1, Q2, mm -hmm. I give myself seasons of focus. So for example, I'm doing my Ignite Your Influence Influencer Conference once a year. So in the season that I'm doing that, that is all I really can do without having like my world blow up. So it's like, I'm going to be a wife, I'm going to do my job, and I'm doing this event in this season. So let me kind of, let me backtrack and tell you all the things I'm doing and how I break them up. I know you just dropped in that I'm going to do my job. Like, yes. what, what, like a job, like for a person who is not you. Listen, so I work oh, at Facebook now. I have a whole job, which is insane. This is new, fresh off the press. So just started there, like in my second week. Okay. Whoop, whoop. Good for you. So super excited about that. So balancing full responsibility at corporate social media balancing, let me cook for my husband, let, you know, me and Brittany were just talking about the Peloton, let me try to take care of my body and my health. Um, and then in all of that, um, I'm like, okay, I have other things and businesses. Um, what can I focus on this season? So when it's event season, I put all my focus in my conference and I limit like podcasts. I like pause and pause recording. 
Um, I limit the speaking engagements that I accept so I can focus on that. And I limit, I'm very picky about the brand collaborations that I say yes to in that season so I can have some balance. When it's not conference season, so like right now, I can record a podcast, I can be a guest at other people's events, keynote, panel, I can do brand campaigns. So I try to give myself like a conference season and a non-conference season so I can have uh, a life outside of all this. Um, when I shoot content, I really only shoot two days a week in terms of like professionally like showing up and getting really great pictures. So I batch as much as I can, spread out those across the month. And I leave space for organic and a lot of times just like iPhone, especially because we're all quarantined at home. I found that if it's for myself, the quality doesn't have to be perfect. So I can just squeeze in some of those. Hey, honey, can you take a picture of me on my phone in the living room pictures and spread out uh, my professional pictures? But a lot of it is what can I batch ahead of time and what can I plan ahead of time? Um, Brittany, we joke about I usually start planning my events the year before. So I try to do as much as I can before conference season to prep for that. Um, when I do podcasts, I try to record them beforehand to give me time and room to edit and things of that nature so that I don't get bogged down. Um, and then when I do brand campaigns, I max the amount I do a month. I may limit and say, you know what, this month I can only handle two because I have these other things going on. And if I have to write a blog, I need the space and time to do so. If I need to take pictures, I need the space and time to do so. So I'm really realistic. Like if I really can't do something, I'm getting better about saying I can't. And if I can, I'm going to show up and show out. I'm going to give it my best. So it's a lot of bobbing and weaving, but just putting things in seasons where I know I don't have to do everything I'm passionate about at the same time. I love that. The seasons is, is smart. I just tend to be like, oh, you know, my my least busy day of the week, I can do something there. And Tiffany, who's on my team, she's like, why do you feel the need to launch everything on a Sunday? And I'm like, oh, right, because my podcast comes out on Sunday and my weekly newsletter comes out on Sunday. And I just launched Sunday Secrets, which the first one will be tomorrow because I liked the alliteration. I was like, Saturday Secrets just doesn't have the same ring to it. And so then it's like all week, I'm just like, oh my God, Sunday's coming. I have so much stuff to do. And like, what you said is smart, just spreading it out, you know, in the seasons, being able to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do here. This is what I'm going to do there. So I'm going to try and take that lesson and apply it to my personal life. It probably won't take because I already trapped myself into the Sunday schedule. But moving forward, I'm going to look at batching things in the seasons. And I think everybody should because I think that's very smart to know that like this is just not the time for this other thing because we're spending a lot of time focusing. So you talked a lot about your conference, Ignite Your Influence, which is where I met you for the first time. I went down to Charlotte and spoke at your conference, which was amazing. It was so much fun. This year you did a virtual, you did a, the virtual, the last one, because we're all virtual, everything. And you said you start planning a year ahead. So I don't want you to, you don't have to dive in too much because for anyone listening, and I know a lot of you were at um, the influencer conference that I just did virtually, and Majesty had an entire chat with me about conferencing and coaching, and it was so good. I think most people said it was their favorite panel. What? Uh, the event. Yes, I didn't tell you that. But yes, that's what people were saying because it just you are very transparent with how you, 
you know, you told people exactly how you figure out ticket pricing and, you know, the venue. So we don't have to dive too much into that because on Majesty's page for this podcast, everyone, I will list um, the link to grab that. But I do want to talk about in terms of business. So business, we've got the brand partnerships, which we can touch on a little bit. But as everybody knows, I'm team. Yes, but what money is mine that I can control? And so really, you've got your conference, you've got coaching. And I just want to talk about like how you got into those two spaces. But quickly, let's just talk a little bit about in terms of brand partnerships. Do you have an agent? Do you do your partnerships yourself? Are you mostly inbound? Are you pitching? What's your state of spawn con? I guess we could call it. Definitely. Yeah, I represent myself, no agent. And I'm definitely, I would say on the 70-30 mix of 70% of the brands are inbound actively pitching me. And 30% are like, I'm buying this brand. I really believe in this brand. I'm getting in front of them. Um, So each month, depending on what I have going on, I'm actively proactively pitching the stores I really shop at um, to stay in front of those brands. Like right now, I know I need spring shopping. So I looked at all my favorite stores, reached out to their influencer um, representatives and says, hey, do you need any influencers for, you know, spring, summer previews? Here are some ideas I have. So I actively pitched the brands and have recently secured um, some great spring campaigns. Um, And the other ones are inbound where they see my content. They want me to create content for them. And we're negotiating budget and really capacity and timing and if it's something I believe in and would buy without being sponsored. I'm really picky about uh, what I put on my campaign and I really have to like it at first um, to, to commit typically. But when it comes to brand collaborations, I'm just like you, Brittany, and I like to allow sponsored content to be supplementary and I like to be more controlled because the thought of like, waiting for net 30, net 45, net 60. Net 90. And then sometimes they, they are like, <laughs> oh, your invoice is missing something and you it ends up taking longer. That gives me hives. So I, I created business models that allowed me to have more recurring uh, income. Like um, Club Ignite is a membership I do. It has recurring monthly fee, um, which allows me to have a base um, of income to support my community where I'm not relying on those brand deals. Um, affiliate marketing, when I share, is something I've been really active at, which that gives me a commission payout each month. So I try to think about how can I bring in money outside of campaigns? And then if I do campaigns, when I first started, no one was pitching me. Like my first year, I was I felt lucky to get on a PR list. Like, you're going to send me free stuff. Um, but that definitely over the years has flip-flopped. And I think as each year passes, I find myself getting pitched more and more and more. Um, so I definitely think it is once you put in the time to make your content uh, quality, they'll definitely start noticing you. And I really feel like when I started working with brands, other brands immediately were like, oh, if she can do that for them, it's almost like brands yes. love to copy. <laughs> yes. I think, you know, that's that's a big thing. And I think, you know, people wonder like, oh, we always see X, Y and Z influencers so much. And I think what people don't realize is behind the scenes, the amount of time you have to secure an influencer tight. Sometimes I would get something at 10 a.m. They're like, this is shooting tomorrow. We need an influencer before you leave this office. And I'm like, but how? I got to, what? 
And so sometimes it just is that quick. And you know, you could go scouting for new talent, but like I would like to have a lunch break today. So who are the people I know can get this done? This girl, this girl, this girl, this girl. I would probably have all of their phone numbers. I just text them. I'm like, listen, first person to reply back, you're gonna get this job. <laughs> do you wanna do this or not? And you know, and then people do find new faces by seeing what other people are doing. And there's a long list of influencers that I did their first branded deal. They were like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I'm gonna be in Cosmo, I'm gonna be in 17. And then they blew up after that because they were on a stage. And now everyone's like, wait, who's that? Let's get her for this thing. Let's get her for that thing. And so I think, you know, for a lot of influencers, it really just is, you only need one yes. And so people get very discouraged because it's a lot of no's and then they're like, oh, I'll get one yes and maybe I'll get a bunch of no's again. Not really. For so many influencers, it's the first yes and then you don't have to look back because everyone on the industry side talks. Was this person easy to work with? You know, did they deliver on time? You know, how was the quality? How was the communications? And you just get dropped. People are like, does anybody know a really good influencer for X, Y, and Z? And we shoot each other lists. And so once you get in, it's very, I mean, it's difficult to get in sometimes. That's why you do have a lot of this seeding now where people are, you know, if post this for free and then you can get on the list. And lots of times those things are discouraging because you should never really work for free if you can get paid. But if it's a brand you love, it's good to make that leap because once you're in, you're in. And then it's very hard to fall out of, you know, the influencer circle. Like you're saying, you get pitched more and more every year because brands do just copy <laughs> what oh, yeah. other people and are if doing. You, if you can get in with a brand, like I'll give you an example, like a Procter & Gamble or a brand that's like a parent company, other brands, and you build relationships, like you just said, I have people at certain agencies or brands now, there's relationships. So they may say, hey, you did this one brand for us. Our parent company also has this other brand. We need someone quickly. And if you're reliable, that has opened up a lot of doors. Like I remember I, I one company had a natural hair campaign. I did really great. Stayed in relationship with the um, campaign manager for this brand. And she's like, hey, the parent company owns this other brand. I actually need someone. Similar, like you said, very fast turnaround. Can you get it to me? And I think, like you said, once you're in, you're in. As long as you don't burn bridges and um, continue to be professional, I think the sky is the limit really with opportunities um, as long as people can trust that you're going to put out and, and can handle the deliverables that they have for you. Right. So that goes back to you saying, you know, when you're in your season, you are here, you're going to do a great job. When you're not in your season, you limit it because you don't want to drop the ball because, again, you need one bad campaign to also take you out of the running for a lot of things. And nobody wants that. So it's smart to know your capacity, know your limits. Brands will not mind if you say, I really want to do this, but to be honest, I just don't have the bandwidth right now to get you what you need on this timeline. Please don't forget about me and, and come back. And I would much rather hear that, and then I'll just put you automatically on the next list, than you say yes, and now it is a disaster because you knew ahead of time that you couldn't handle this. So when you're saying no or you're being, you know, a little a little more particular about which brand deals you accept, it's because you're in conference season. So I do want to talk about your conference a little bit because I love the idea 
Um, and you can talk a little bit about the origins, but I love that you have a conference that is not in New York or LA, which is huge. And even when you wrote me, I had been to Charlotte one other time for branding with Bianca, who Bianca Crawford, who's another influencer. And she, the first time I was like, Charlotte, I've never been to Charlotte in my life. All right, let's go. Let's head to Charlotte. So that was the second time I had gone and your conference was huge. It had a ton of people at it. And like you say, it's, it really is an underserved market. So talk a little bit about how you decided, you know, I have a job, I have a whole husband, I have influencer stuff, but I'm going to add something else to my plate. I'm going to make a conference. What was the moment when you realized you wanted to make that? And for that, how did you figure out who your community was going to be? That's such a great question. I um, 2017-ish, I had attended an event in Atlanta called Summit 21. I believe Blavity runs it. And it's like a women's conference for women creatives, women in business. And I realized how powerful it was to, it was like 300 women there together collectively. And it hit me. I'm like, this is in Atlanta. What if people in North Carolina, South Carolina can't come to Georgia, can't go to New York, can't go to LA. And I realized it was such a gap in like, no one was doing it. Like no, like people were having like blogger meetup socials, but no one had anything that was really to educate, provide insight and information. And my crazy self, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do a conference and I'll be the person that starts this in Charlotte. And I'll make sure that it is marketed so that people know they don't have to be from a bigger state, they can come, all are welcome, and we're gonna learn. All questions are great questions. It's a safe space on any level. And I, I just set a tone in the community, like, come, we're gonna answer questions, we're here to help each other, support. In the first year, I had 98 ladies come. And so it confirmed, like, the creators are here, just no one was, was, was creating an experience for them. So I took on the responsibility to continue it annually and you sent, volunteer distribute. I know all about that. <laughs> listen, listen. And yeah, and I just, it's something I think I'm going to continue to do because, I mean, it's Charlotte, like you got to visit. It's such an amazing city. Um, but, you know, we have the Panthers, we have the Hornets, we have sports. But from an event perspective, like no one was doing that, especially for my audience, which um, is primarily content creators of color. Like there was no one speaking directly to us. Um, there were a lot of women's conferences kind of in general but no one was speaking to creative. So I thought, let me bring in other women in the game who are just really making changes and bring them to North Carolina so my people don't have to be limited on information if they can't travel outside the state. And it's just been fantastic. And each year is grown. And um, yeah, it's an ecosystem of support here that now people are like, know about the conference. Um, and I, I only bring in talent that I respect personally and just feel like are the best of the best. So I think people expect like you, you came, shut the house down, reminded us that our drives were to stop the scroll. We all left with our edges standing up straight, like, oh my God, we're in awe of all that we learned. And, um, that's what I strive for each year. I want to bring the best in our industry to Charlotte, um, so that they know that, you know, I want Charlotte to be on the map, just like in Atlanta or a Houston or these kind of bigger bus cities now um, to just make sure my community knows like, hey, we're, we have great talent here and we can have the best of the best. Either it be virtual or it be hyper local. 
I love that. And I think, you know, that's what makes your conference so great. It was like, I sat and I listened to the rest of the speakers. And I was like, this, these people are fantastic, which I think doesn't happen. Anyone who speaks publicly knows so many times you go to a conference and you're like, I don't want to hear what any of these people have to say. I'm not going to learn anything. I'm just going to hang out in the green room and eat my donuts and drink my coffee and get ready for my flight back. But yours, your conference was great. It had dance breaks, which I always bring up because I was like, this conference has a dance break. Although I would, I would expect nothing less from a conference for women of color. Every conference I've ever gone to, for, you know, always with the dance break, I have to make sure I come with a dance because they're going to have me do a dance across the stage. Like, let me make sure I come ready to, you know, it's, it's still got to be, it's still got to be kosher though, because it ends up on social. So you can't get too crazy, but your, your event was, was so much fun. All the speakers were great. And it really was something where you could feel the community, which I think it only makes sense. Like you said, you then launched Club Ignite for people who wanted to continue that. So talk a little bit about what Club Ignite is. Tell everybody what the members are called. I think it's so cute. The branding is on point. And just, you know, how you how you grew that from your conference. That's so awesome. So my conference is annual. When we talked about seasons, I commit to this big kind of a weekend experience once a year because after that, it just takes a lot of energy and effort and I have to decompress. So my community really wanted more than once a year. And so I thought to myself, I can't be like multiple seasons of conference and event all year, but I do want to serve my community. So I thought, you know what, if I do a monthly membership where we show up virtually and I'm not, you know, doing all the activations and all kind of the in-person thing, but more of a nurturing teaching and education, I can serve my community more than once a year. So Club Ignite um, the members of the community are called Flames, and um, they are my favorite because they literally show up to learn, save space for questions. They support each other's posts. Like now, um, it's a sisterhood of sorts where if other Flames post something, they're in the comments engaging with them, and it and it becomes this like community that each month shows up and learns together, bonds together. And then now I'm so excited because the annual experience is now like a big family community reunion um, and this constant learning and constant leveling up. So it's a little bit of something for everybody in the community. Like you can show up and get training all year or you can show up just like, hey, once a year, I want to get this whole wow um, annual experience. But I feel like the monthly would allow me to continue to nurture more consistently where I could show up for them uh, more frequently and it allows me to work smarter, not harder. I know we're talking about balance. To coach and train in a setting that's group format takes so much off my plate versus doing one-on-one -on -one consultations. Um, I'm a big fan of the group think. I feel like people can ask questions and learn, um, and it helps us not have to do 100 one-on-ones in a month where we can do 100 people on one membership class or one training, and it just helps us be efficient. So um, the membership model has been something I really enjoy. And I think it, it makes us stay on top of our toes because we have to continue to serve this community. I know like you have your community that I love being involved in and you are always on top of industry stuff so you can continue to pour into us. And I feel that same responsibility with my membership, just like showing up once a year is hard work, but once a month is even more hard work because you have to consistently 
be learning to consistently be teaching and inspiring. So um, it's a different challenge, but it's one that's really fulfilling for me. I love that. And I think that's why you're one of the few influencers who I can get behind, condone, recommend you getting into the teaching space. Um, because most influencers don't know what they're talking about. They, you know, they're, oh, I have, a, I'm making a course and I'm doing coaching. And so much of it is not what happened to you by accident. It's what you have perfected so you can repeat it because those are the things you can teach. And I think a lot of influencers who not to not, and listen, if people want to pay you for your information because you know more than them, have at it. There's always someone you can learn from. There's always someone you can teach. But I am a big fan of people staying in their appropriate lane. <laughs> You know, and we are all on the highway. Y'all cannot be in the left speeding lane like the rest of us. This is the passing lane. We are here to pass you. And, you know, you can be in the right lane where there are plenty of people who do need help. But I think, you know, because people see dollar signs, because they see like, oh, I can teach people. There's so many influencers. I think there is a very big it's almost like a gold rush to become a coach, to have a membership, to do a conference, to have a course. And I see all these, you know, different Instagram ads and it makes me really upset for the people who are actually going to commit to these things and spend their money because I can already see like this person doesn't know enough to teach. They know enough to maybe give you some pointers, some guidelines. Here's what worked for me. I have no idea if this is going to work for you. But in terms of teaching consistently, like you say, showing up on a regular basis to, you know, teach people what's happening. This is something that works. I've done this X number of times and it always works. So you should try it. That's a different level of commitment and not one that most people can handle. So I'm happy you're in the space um, and doing a good job. But as we've said multiple times in this podcast, with what time? Like how? But why? So in the last few minutes, I want you to just tell everybody, how do you find balance? And before we started recording, I said, like, I have got to get on the Peloton daily, even if it's 15 minutes or my entire household suffers. It's not just me. My son is like, you're being mean today. You need to ride your bike. My husband will tell me, you've got to stop everything you're doing. You have to ride right now because you've got a lot of energy. It's coming at us. You need to redirect that onto the bike. So that's one of the things I try to do to just make sure I have, you know, maybe it's only 15 minutes, maybe it's an hour, but it's just time where like, the door is closed. Everybody knows I'm on the bike. Do not bother me. The phone does not come into the room with me. I'm just with my instructor, with my, my, my mind, my body, my soul, just riding, having a good time, laughing. And then I can tackle the rest of the day. So what are you doing in your, your day-to-day life? Like you said, to make sure your cup is full so that you can pour into other people. Oh, yeah. So I'm a big fan of starting my day off with meditation and prayer. So I have this app that I do every morning. It's called the Insight Timer. And similar to you where it's like, no phones on, leave me alone. I literally in the morning will be like, husband, don't talk to me. Ringer's off. Everything's on do not disturb. And I need to like do a 10 minute meditation to like breathe because my mind is creative, which is a gift and a curse in that soon as I wake up, I'm thinking of like, 
what I need to do, ideas. And I'm like, ho, ho, ho. And then I can get overwhelmed of like all that I want to tackle. So I start off like, okay, be still, breathe, woo, saw. And, and I try to listen to things that have like affirmations um, to remind me that, you know, I'm a good person. I'm smart. I'm creative. I'm powerful. I have influence. I can make an impact. It's like, okay. And I kind of let that start my day. And um, I, I usually before noon have had two coffees. I'm a big coffee. I really like it. Um, but I definitely need a boost of caffeine. Um, and I'm someone for balance. It takes time to journal too. I'm a big like believer in like kind of brain dumping and getting some of our ideas, fears, goals out to clear my head. And as busy as I am, I try to block off non-work moments. So like, for example, today is a work day for me. Did a virtual event, record an episode. I'm doing some admin stuff. So tomorrow I have a commitment and then there's a block of time that's like, no work. I'm not creating content. I'm not sharing a story. I'm not, and it helps me kind of reset so that I'm not always in creator mode or always pouring out. Uh, similar to my photo shoots, like when I batch, I batch so I don't always feel the pressure to be on. Um, I can have my pictures ready and then I block off scheduled time for today. I'm just going to write. I'm just going to write. I don't have to take pictures. I don't have to have a makeup. Or today I'm just going to come up with a caption. Or today I'm just going to schedule. I try to give myself like blocks of time, but each week I try to have a few hours that are like, I'm not responsible for creating anything or showing up for anybody. And that helps me um, because otherwise, I found myself without blocking that time, pouring out so much, and then I got burnt out. Like, I literally had to schedule, like, this is your block, and I have to protect it and create a boundary um, so that I'm not always like, oh, sure, 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 sure. So tomorrow night, like Sunday night, is like block of time. I'm not creating. I can have some date time with my husband and hopefully watch Bridgerton and start to do something, like, completely non-work related. And it definitely helps me. Um, in the quarantine, something else that has helped with balance is just changing my space. Although it's not safe to do a lot of things, I've just gotten an Airbnb with my husband just to get in new walls. Even if I'm just on the laptop or watching TV, just to <laughs> reset the scene, which is sometimes make me feel more invigorated mentally. But I definitely think as creatives, as, as women, um, as people who serve and influence and market, um, we have to give our t minds time to turn off, to reset, or or you'll just your tank will run empty for sure. I love that because I I have definitely been known to in the past get on where I'm running on fumes, and it's so tempting to do because you're like, I gotta get this done, I have to get this other thing done. But you just look and it's like the trail that is behind you. It's like everything you did get done, great. But was it good? Was it the best you could have done? Could you have maybe held off on some of these things so that when they finally did happen, they were better? I have been known to overcommit myself because the community, you know, running a community and I, I love, love my community. It's the reason I can do what I do full time. But the community has demands. They have things they want to know, things they want to learn. Hey, this came out. Hey, that came out. And you really can just get into a zone where you're like, yes, I'll make this and I'll make that and I'll talk about this and I'll be there and I'll do this. And it can hurt because then, you know, you do get into a place where, and this is how I knew I needed to hire someone, where you do start dropping balls. And there are things you said you were going to do that don't get done. And, 
and nobody wants to disappoint people. You know, we're human and it happens, but a lot of that disappointment can be prevented by saying, I definitely agree with you, this is a good idea, but I can't do that right now. And I think that's okay, you know, I think it's okay to sometimes not be at 100% just because you can't. We can't be 100% all the time, it's impossible. I think, you know, creators constantly feel like, especially whether it's community pressure, it's financial pressure, like I gotta do this content, or I can't pay my bills, or it's the algorithm and you're just like, I work so hard on this, nobody's gonna see it. There's always some new thing. It took me for, I was on Clubhouse for ages before I used it. People were like, you gotta get on here. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that. Feels like a lot of work. Feels like I gotta do a lot of things. But it actually turned out being one of the best ways for me to be able to show up to my community because I can just get on. Sometimes I get on without an agenda. I'm just like, hey, I'm here. You got questions, I got answers. Let's do this, I got 30 minutes. And I can give the people what they need without having to have a photo, without having to write a caption, without having to you know, edit things and be worried that no one's seeing it. It's just so, I think every influencer should definitely spend the time to find the mediums that work best for their preferences, their communication style, their level of commitment. Because as much as, you know, I love me some Instagram, we've all got to be there. Instagram is not the best use of my time. It's just not. It's just not. There are plenty of other things that my audience sees more, they appreciate more, and it's just easier for me to, to show up. And so I love, love everything you had to say about the balance, how you are showing up for multiple communities, how you are showing up digitally, virtual, you know, digitally on social media, virtually through coaching and in person with the conference and you're constantly also learning. You're over here with your gig at Facebook now because doing the most always, you know, and you've always, always, always showed up for me whenever I want you to share your expertise with my community. So I wanted to thank you so much for coming on Influencer Essentials Podcast. You are one of my faves. I have a short list of faves. People are like, you say everybody is your favorite. I said, no, only the people you've met. That's why you've met them <laughs> because they are my faves. And so short, short list, but you're definitely high on it because you're just so transparent. You're so personable, so sweet. You guys can't see her, but this is audio only and she still looks great in true influencer style. Y'all make me sick sometimes. Always look fantastic. But do you have any, any closing words for the community before we wrap? I was going to say, you know, like you said, you're, you have a list of people who are your favorites. And I think People are what make this industry work. Like people are everything in this industry. So I would say the final piece of advice is when you build relationships or network with other creatives, with people at agencies, with brand representatives, like nurture those because people leave agencies and go to other ones that can open up doors. People speak at events and people may ask them if they need another speaker, they can refer you. Um, it's Everything that I think has, has led me to success has been off of a positive relationship over time. Like, like you said, we met at my conference, which started a foundation of a relationship that you've continued to pour into me. I've continued to support what you're doing. And I think we're the biggest fans of each other um, and it's genuine. And I think when I think of the other 
ways I've been successful in the industry is off of positive relationships. I would say if you're getting started, if someone emails you, always email them back. Even if it's a decline, like treat people like people and and make sure you're nurturing those. Um, That way you'll go really far because if you know people in this industry, like like you said, your name will be added to PR lists. Your name will be added to speak at events. Your name will be added to brand campaigns. You know, you'll get a shout out for people who like your content that will share and want to encourage other people to follow you. Like it'll come if you take care of people. And if you continue to nurture the community you have for people who look up to you and follow you and continue to nurture the community of peers you respect. And Brittany, I tell you this all the time. Uh, she's someone who I respect so much. So if she calls and I'm there and I can be there, I'm there. Like it's, it's like say less. What time do I need to be there? <laughs> I love it. And it's it's so true. You're on this podcast sharing, you know, so much that you know. I know the audience will listen to this. They'll feel inspired. They'll feel like they can, you know, dream big, have a lot on their plate, but maybe have a more digestible way to get it all done from some of the things you talked about. And just thank you so much, because as we learned today, you are busy, but you made time for us and we are grateful. So that's it for this episode. And thank you so much, Majesty. Tell everybody, drop your handles, drop your links. Where can they find you, stalk you, and give you all their money? So you can find me on my blog. It's my name. It's majestyatchampong.com. If you want to know about my Club Ignite community and membership, it's clubignite.co. And then on Instagram, I am at majestyatchampong. So happy to connect with you all. And thank you for tuning in. And Brittany, first of all, I'm so excited that you even started the podcast and included me on the fifth episode. Like I'm ecstatic. It's, it's been fantastic. I've binge watched like the one you have with AV and the ones you've had before me and they've been fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. So you guys heard it. If this is your first episode because you've come through Majesty, welcome. I hope it won't be your last. She's episode five. We've got four other phenomenal influencers who kicked off the Influencer Essentials podcast. But as usual, Conversations with Majesty, always a good time, always one of my favorites. So thank you so much. And I'll see you on Instagram. Yes, see you soon. (laughs) Bye. That's all for this episode of the Influencer Essentials podcast. I hope you picked up all those gems Majesty dropped and learn how to keep your cup full so you can pour into others. Join us every Sunday for lessons from your favorite influencers on how to build your brand, run your business, and find your balance. As always, I'm your host, Brittany Hennessy, and you can follow me on IG at Mrs. Brittany Hennessy. See you on the gram. Bye.